Josh Hennig filling in for Mike Gill. Last hour of the show. I'll be on with uh, game night from 6 to 7 as well. We have the Sixers basketball here on 97.3 ESPN. Along with Hunter Brody here. 5 o'clock hour being brought to you by Matt Blackia. Matt Blackia wants to get you approved today. That's Matt Blackia on the Black Horse Pike in Egg Harbor Township. Kevin McCormick will join us coming up at 5.30 or 97.3 ESPN.com. Sixers writer. I think that half the reason why I want to have him on, not just to preview Sixers Celtics, but also, so for those who have been listening to the full show, Jason Blevins was on earlier and blew Hunter Brody away. Blevins said Sixers and seven. McCormick is picking Sixers and seven. Hunter Brody is not. And I think Broads has some questions for Mr. McCormick coming up. Not only those two, but also Mike Gill went. Sixers and seven. Right, but you uh, you can have an ongoing conversation throughout the week about that with Mike when he's sitting in here. You know, you want to get McCormick on the record before anything happens. Like, you already know some of Mike Gill's reasons. Now you need to know McCormick's reasons. Definitely. Now, where do you stand on this? Everyone's giving their thoughts before it tips off tonight. Maybe you want to save that for game night. Nah, I'm not going to save it for game night. I will save it for after our conversation with McCormick. Oh, why? You want to see if you get convinced? No. I just want to see what your reaction is going to be. Well, now I know where you're leaning. Now I know. You just totally gave it away. You're going Sixers and seven. This is insanity. I'm the only one that thinks the Celtics are going to win in six, huh? I'm shocked. As of right now, well, the only one who doesn't cover the Celtics. I'm shocked that there's this much optimism around the squad right now. It's not optimism. It's understanding two things for me. Number one, I think that the previous matchups between Daniel Tyson, Joel Embiid, that was then, this is now. I don't think that's the same Embiid. I think Embiid's a little different right now. When he got in that scuffle with Harden the other night because he got under under his skin, I was like, the Embiid we like is back. How many times have we said that, though? This is the playoffs. A I know. I, I mean, come on, though. How many times I have we said this Embiid is the NBA? focus for a seven-game series. I think that wrist injury or the hand injury is going to be an issue. It's going to come back up. As I told you earlier, I think that this team, the Boston Celtics, will focus so much on Embiid, they'll forget about Harris, and Harris will win them a couple games by himself. I don't think Tobias Harris is going to win you basketball games. I don't. I don't. He's going to need, if the Sixers win, he's going to have to play a role, but it'll be because of Joel Embiid that they win. He's just going to have to have that secondary role. I don't see it where Tobias Harris is that guy. And look, I want to be wrong. There's nothing I'd rather do than walk back into this studio after a Sixers series and go, wow, I was wrong about that Celtics series. Of course, I want them to succeed. I just don't think that they have enough when it comes to that wing power of the Celtics to be able to get this done. But I really do hope that they can. And I think if there is a game where the Sixers can come off hot and can start this thing off right, would be game one. I do sense that game one could be their game. If I say Celtics in six, obviously that means the Sixers are getting some wins in there somehow. PlaySugarHouse.com text board is open for you to make your pick, 609-403-0973. We got an interesting text from the last hour I wanted to carry over to this hour. We're also going to get to some Flyers reaction calls as well because, one, I love these reactions because some of them are hilarious. And number two, you got to appreciate the people who took the time to call in. 
So it's a little bit of a duality there. But speaking of the Sixers, this question is interesting. Guys, I watched Donovan Mitchell and Jamal Murray. That game went to overtime, by the way. Going back and forth, shot for shot, down the stretch. The Sixers don't have anyone like that. Isn't that the first guy that you look to bill around, that kind of guy? Well. <laughs> See, that's why I like this question. The first thing I thought it's about a, when he a, said that is. It's a valid question. I think the Jazz and the Nuggets, Nuggets are in a similar situation than the Sixers are. And I know Gil picked them to go to the finals because he's loving Michael Porter Jr. right now. And so am I. I think he's very fun to watch. But they're just teams that are good teams who make the playoffs who are not NBA title-type teams, right? So is he saying the Sixers need to do that? I mean, I don't think that the Nuggets are going anywhere because of Jamal Murray. Isn't it because of Jokic at the end of the day? So if they are to go to the next level, so you asked two very different things. Yeah, right sure, there. I know, but my mind's racing with that question. It's a good question, but I got a couple of different thoughts on it. The way I approach it. Let me address the first one first. So you're asking if the Sixers can win with Jamal Murray, and my answer is yes because the league is built around perimeter players now, less than it is big men. The only time a big man can have an impact is if he's like a Joel Embiid and he's a you know, the quote-unquote once-in-a-generational type player. That's the only time it's going to work in this league because... But they had that in Jokic. Well, and that's I'm going to address the second part. Jokic is good, is, is not good, he's great. To a point, though. Nobody wins by themselves in this NBA. And that's where I kind of think it's a duality because of the fact that, yes, you need Jamal Murray, but you also need Jokic. You can't have one or the other. Other, I think that's the problem with a lot of people, and that is a lot of times they say, I want this guy. But they don't think about how they're going to build around fill-in-the-blank guy. Like, Donovan Mitchell, remember, was not a lottery pick. He was right outside the lottery when the Jazz drafted him. And they drafted him because they were a semi-contending team at that point. So they didn't have a high draft pick because of the fact that they weren't a bottom feeder, right? Donovan Mitchell has developed into a upper echelon type player. Kind of like Giannis, who was picked, I think it was 15th, has developed into a top five player. So there's some be said for the fact that sometimes you pick a guy and he doesn't work out the way you thought for better or for worse. And I think that for a guy like Donovan Mitchell, you saw what happened in the game. When they got to overtime, the Jazz ran out of steam because there's no Mike Conley out there on offense to help handle the ball. There's no Bogdanovich to help shoot the ball. There was no Ed Davis down low to slow down Millsap and Jokic. So what happened was, is yeah, you got Donovan Mitchell, but the better team ended up pulling out because the Nuggets are a better team team. And so that's where I understand what the texture is saying. And I agree with you that if you're the Sixers, you would love to have a Mitchell or a Murray. But if you only had those guys, you are never, ever winning a championship unless the rest of the team around them is complimenting them. And to me, Murray is great because he has Jokic and Jokic is even better because he has Murray. So are you saying the 76ers are not properly put together. I've believed that for a while. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, th- I think we can all kind of sit here and say that there are some big-time flaws with this team. So. I was never a big believer in 
the part of the process, which I understand the process, and I have a, I'm not a pro or anti guy though, because I believe that saying I'm a pro or anti process guy is a cop out. It's a cop out to say that you either are like politics. Well, I'm I'm left or right. Well, it's a cop out because what you're saying is you can't think for yourself. That you can't be critical thinking of either side of the argument. My problem with the process was that there were elements of it that 100% made sense, but there are other parts that didn't make sense. Like, why did you draft 200 big men? Right? Yet we went from Noel to Embiid to Okafor, and then you go to Ben Simmons, and it's like... Well, you well, can argue that it made sense that they did that at this point because those players weren't good enough. So, because Nerlens Noel wasn't good enough, because Okafor wasn't good enough, you picked a big man until you found one that was big enough, and that so happened to be Embiid. But the Okafor one always bothered me because where they selected him... They just picked who fell to him. Like, with Nerlens as well, it wasn't like they had the first or second overall pick for these picks. At that point, they selected who fell to them. You know, like, they could only pick who was available at that time. It wasn't like they had everyone on the board, and from there they picked from everyone available. At that point, it was, okay, what's left? You know? So that's why with some of these picks, I I don't like when people bring up, well, all they drafted Okafor and this. It's like, yeah, but when they selected him, the other guys went already. The other guys already got drafted. At that point, it was, okay, what's left? I'll take what's left. But I think there's a level of creativity that comes with great being the great executive, okay? I look at what the Cavs did when LeBron left. Now, part of it was luck a little bit because they, let's be realistic, those ping pong balls dropped some pretty friendly places. But they still walked out of those drafts without LeBron with two key players to their championship team, Kyrie Irving and Tristan Thompson. And they totally bombed the one pick, Anthony Bennett. And Wiggins is still a solid NBA player, so it's not like they totally botched that pick, but they parlayed it to get Kevin Love and help them win a championship. There is a level of creativity that comes with the drafting process when you get into the lottery. And I think that the Sixers, because their plan was so long-term that maybe they lost a little short-term perspective on it. And as a result, Sam Hinkie never got to fulfill his long-term plan. He got totally the rug yanked out from under him because of pressures that were outside of his control. And now the Sixers are on the third guy from the original plan. So the original plan at this point doesn't even matter anymore because you're three degrees removed from the original plan of the process. So we may never know what the process really would have worked anyway because Sam Hinkie never had a chance to actually finish the job. But see, that's where I think that the process isn't wasn't long-term. Like, I think the actual process is over, and it only lasted three years. Three years of losing to get Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, there's your process. The process was to tank, to get high draft picks, and then have teams that can compete. At this point, they have their teams that can compete, whether you think they're a finals team or you think they stink or you're super frustrated, whatever. They're a team that wins 50-plus games each season at this point. So to me, the process is already over. It's never a, oh, they have to win a championship for it to succeed and yada, yada, yada. No, the point of the process was to get high draft picks, to get superstar talent so you no longer are stuck in that eighth seed. They're 60 this year, wonky season. They're not a... a, a a eighth seed team like the Brooklyn Nets playing the Toronto Raptors right now. They're not the Orlando Magic. They are way above that. So to me, the three-year window, like, they did it, they executed it, and now it's over. The process was a short-term thing, in my opinion, and I think it's already over. 
Oh, it's definitely over. I'm not disputing that. I'm just saying that I think part of the problem with these conversations about, you know, Murray and Mitchell and Embiid and Simmons and all these things is that we have to draw some context on how we got here. And to me, I think that there is a level of the construction of this basketball team has always been flawed because the way the team is being constructed now is by a completely different person than the original person drafting these players. And as a result, now you're on the third GM. I'm not saying you should throw the baby without the bathwater, but there's a point in time where you got to look at who's on the team and realize we've made so many trades and so many moves and so many things around Simmons and Embiid that we honestly have to have a question about, are these even the guys? Well, I want to get your opinion on this because Gil and I spoke about this before, and it's Elton Brand. And, you know, a lot of people are unhappy with Elton Brand because of the roster construction. And the way I see it is, you know, I love the move to get Jimmy Butler. What he gave up, Dario, Robert Covington, that's a no-brainer to me. And getting Tobias Harris for a guy like Landry Shaman and moving on from that pick that you got in that Zaire Smith trade with Mikel Bridges, like, I'm fine with those moves. I'm okay. Like, I'm sitting here today saying, you know what? I don't think this is the best roster constructed. But if I look back, I'd rather see my GM make these type of moves than do nothing, than be scared, than be timid, to not be aggressive. I know it's not working out right now, and we have hindsight to be able to say this isn't the best roster, but I would rather have a GM willing to go out there to make splashes and and willing to make these type of gambles than one that wouldn't at all. What are your thoughts on that? I like where you went with that because I agree with that concept. I agree that... You want a guy who's willing to take the risk, who's willing to pull the trigger, who turns to the fan and says, I got you, and goes and makes a trade. Like, you know, and you like that. You like to know the GM isn't just sitting in his ivory tower, twiddling his thumbs and getting a manicure, not doing his job. You know what I mean? Which is, I think, what a lot of people felt that Colangelo did. Like, what the heck was Colangelo doing every day? You know, Brand is not Colangelo. And I like the fact that he isn't, and he's shown you a willingness to go and do things. Now, my enjoyment of him doing that, my appreciation for his, um, you know, his willingness to take the gamble and take the risk and do what's necessary is combined with my though frustration that I don't know if the guy pulling the moves in the front office is matching what is actually happening on the court. Now, I'm not 100% sure. Is that because Elton Brand made a mistake? Is that the player's were not who we expected them to be? Was that because we also look back at the Jimmy Butler move and we're wondering if Jimmy Butler was here, how different would the team be? I think there's a lot of what-ifs to go along with that. I was a Jimmy Butler guy. I was dead set Jimmy Butler, and if you would have told me that in order to keep Jimmy Butler, you would have had to get rid of Ben Simmons, I honestly would have considered it. Ben Simmons? Yeah. Ben Simmons? Yeah. You would... Trade essentially, I would have you would get it. rid of Ben Simmons for Jimmy Butler. Well, because you're going to trade him and get something in return. Whew. I don't think I could go there. I do not think I could go there. Not Jimmy Butler. No way. But that, that but that's my bias. I'm a Jimmy Butler guy. I think he what brings is something. Jimmy Butler, with all due respect, and, and look, the Miami Heat are a nice team this year. What has Jimmy Butler ever won? 
What has Ben Simmons ever That's, won? But there's a big difference <laughs> on where they are in their careers. But Jimmy Butler I think was Ben in... Simmons can be that guy that brings teams to title. At this point, Jimmy Butler is not that guy. He's over 30. He's getting closer to the no, mid-30s. No, but he's with Embiid. And it gets back to my original point. It's not about the one guy. It's about the pairing. I think Butler and Embiid together are better than Simmons and Embiid together. See, I, I'm too much of I think Ben Simmons is going to be too special in this league to pass up on that. I just you're not wrong when you say that Jimmy Butler and Joel Embiid would be a good combination because they would be a good combo. I'm not saying they would stink by any means, but the ceiling of Ben Simmons to me, whether he gets there or not, just the fact that his ceiling is so damn high, I will not get away from that. I there's no way I could possibly move on from that, and I'll take the chance. I'll take the opportunity. I'll just take it. And if it doesn't work out, then shame on me, but he can be too good. He just needs to get there eventually, and he's, he's not ready yet because of his age, but I think once he gets to that 28, 29, 30 type age, we're going to be seeing a Ben Simmons that we might laugh at looking back at. Remember how we felt when he was 23? One of those moments. Maybe he will, but I'm just I'm getting to the point where I'm not sure if I'm willing to be that patient anymore. You have to be. What, le- what star at 22 Brings a team to a championship. But I'm not None. asking him to bring me to a championship right now. Then what now. are you asking him to I'm do? I'm asking him to show me the same level of chutzpah that the other players around the league who have won championships have shown you. Guys so like you Damian haven't seen Lillard. anything more? But Damian Lillard hasn't won anything in this But team. he shows you a, a level of want and desire that Ben Simmons lacks at times. I'm sure He does lack at times, yes, but Damian Lillard at 22... Wasn't what Damian Lillard is right now, and well, that's Damian my Lillard point. also was in college for three, four years. But, but that's well, that's fine. That's you can't knock Ben Simmons. That's only more experience for someone like Ben Simmons to be playing in the NBA. Damian Lillard at 22-23 is not the same player as he is now, and that's my point. It's you know I do see that drive by Lillard. I do see that you know he's knocking down shots at the logo at this point. That was never a thing for him. He's added that to his game. No, but he's always been the guy who says. I want to win at all costs. Okay. And so I don't just... know if Ben Simmons has that kind of drive because I always say there's two kinds of athletes. There's the guy who loves the game and there's the guy who loves what the game does for them. And I don't know if Ben is the guy who loves the game. Oh, I think Ben loves the game. Come on. Ben loves the game. That that narrative is the like, – you're almost giving me that vibe of you like the Aaron Rowan that runs into the wall more so than no, the skill, more no. so than the skilled guy who isn't as hardworking, oh, I run out every first base play that I have. No, but, but there you're is – the skill guy. Like Ben Simmons is the skill guy that might not have the 180% work ethic, but he gives you like 92 and he's still but so that's skilled. that's not enough to win a championship. Sure it is. If you're that skilled, the NBA is all about skill. Yeah, so but when, there's n- a ton right of guys now, who have no. skill who never win titles. Sure, and and that sucks. But you, if you have that skill, you don't walk that out the door. So someone like Patrick Ewing, because he never won, should the Knicks have traded him? No, when you have that, you go with it and you ride it. Whether it wins a championship or not, you don't let that talent leave. And that's what you have with Ben Simmons. There's a lot of guys that haven't won, but as you said, sometimes that goes with, the, the team more so than anything else, you can't let that type of individual talent walk out the door with Ben. Not for Jimmy Butler. Can't do it. Well, yeah, I'm not trading him I for know Jimmy you're not, Butler. But, but I couldn't do you, it. You, you could have, again, I'm not advocating for specifically trading Ben Simmons, but there's a part of me that wonders, will this guy ever 
be what we think he can be or what we believe he can be, which we all, anybody who doesn't think Ben Simmons doesn't have a high ceiling is an idiot, okay? So I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is at some point, Ben's got to show me that he can hit the switch. And there's too many times that I've waited for him to hit the switch. Like, when they but returned, he's 22, like, like they, when they returned from, the when they returned to the bubble, right? Those preseason games, he was he was intense. Not just the three, throughout the three, he was running the court. He was playing aggressive. His mind looked like he had taken a step. And then the Pacers game comes along, and what happened to Ben Simmons that I saw for those preseason games, and. I'm not going to say it's because he took the headband off because that's ridiculous. Well, but, he's playing a whole new position in the in the first couple games. But there has to be a point where it's like, Ben, you're supposed to be the best perimeter defender in the league. Shut this dude down. And it's like he was just like, well, he's making shots. What can I do? And I don't like that attitude. I need to see a little bit more chutzpah from my first overall pick, and I need to see a little bit less of Mopey. Well, here's the thing. You're right. There's plenty of times where you can be frustrated, but here's where I'll counter. Guess what? Those guys that want to trade Devin Booker for Ben Simmons and and trade this guy for Ben Simmons, start watching that player every game. Start watching Devin Booker the same way that you watch Ben Simmons every day. Then you'd start nitpicking that guy. You know, Jimmy Butler, the dude can't make a three to save his life right now. And I get it. That's better than Ben Simmons who isn't taking any threes. But if you watch Jimmy Butler for 82 games and he's popping all these threes, brick, brick, brick. You'd be saying, all right, uh, enough with that. You're not making it. Like, you start criticizing whatever player you get instead of Ben Simmons, and you will start being frustrated with that guy for his flaws. I mean, it's not like the other side is always greener. There's plenty of flaws in all these players' games that people want instead of Ben Simmons, but because they don't watch him as as heavily, you don't see it so much because, well, hey, he's playing in Phoenix. Because Devin Booker, while he's a great scorer, like, yeah, he can score the basketball. He's got flaws in his game that if you criticized him to a Philadelphia level, you'd be just as pissed off with him. I agree with you on Booker. I will come back to you with Butler on this. Butler commonly admits, especially when he got to Miami, I'm not a three-point shooter. It's not my game. But what did the Miami Heat do? They surrounded him with three-point shooters. Hero, Nunn. Robinson. Not just every NBA team except for the Philadelphia 76ers. Right. So at some point, it's a duality. Again, it's the player has to know who he is, and the team has to put the right players around said team. And I'm just not sure that as constructed, this 76ers team will ever win a championship with this said group of players. I don't know if that means you blow it all up or not, because I'm not for that. But I think there might be a hard right turn that might have to be made at some point if one of these guys doesn't come around. Well, I think they will come around. It just comes with age. So while the Tobias Harris and uh, Tobias might be here, but the Al Horford thing might have to move, you might have to move some things around. And look at the Boston Celtics. I love using them as the example because they made a move. They switched Kyrie Irving with Kemba Walker, and now they're this great team again. So maybe you move on from Al Horford, and something can happen in the offseason, and then the team's totally different. And with the addition of Ben Simmons getting older and adding to his game and, and things like that, which will make the team different as well, but I can't give up on these guys yet. I just think that's the frustration speaking when you can use history of the NBA to show you that when you're 22, 23 years old, you don't dominate the league yet, and it takes time. Sadly, people just don't have the time to wait.
He's on a birdie. I'm Josh Henning filling in for Mike Gale here on the Sports Bash being brought to you by Rocket Mortgage. Need to know what it takes for a home loan to fit your budget and your family? Well, learn what Rocket Mortgage can do for you. Coming up next, we'll talk with Kevin McCormick more about the 76ers versus Celtics tonight at 6.30 here on 97.3 ESPN. Of course, don't forget, Flyers hockey back tomorrow. We'll try to squeeze in some of those uh, anytime hotline calls a little bit later this hour. But first, we got to get to more preview of the Sixers Celtics with Kevin McCormick next here on 97.3 ESPN FM and the 97.3 ESPN mobile app. Josh Hennig filling in for Mike Gill here on 97.3 ESPN along with Hunter Brody. Sixers Celtics tonight, game one. Get excited. I'm not even going to try to do a McGinnis impression because that's a Mike Gill category. I can't do it. Yeah, Gill has some. Uh, Gil, Gill's got McGinnis Gil ha- on lockdown. Yeah, Gil, Gill has some good ones. I know I give him a hard time. He's got some good ones. Now, Billy Schwein chimed in. And said, I'm not the only one who thinks Celtics in six. Now, I'm a little nervous. Because if I'm agreeing with Billy, that scares me. Well, we'll get more into this. Because Kevin McCormick gave his pick for the Sixers-Celtics series. And I think Broads is starting to now, now that Billy Schwime has chimed in, question his decision. A lot of us are picking Sixers in seven. Joining us now on the Boardwalk kind of hotline. Talk more Sixers-Celtics. Kevin McCormick, our Sixers writer over at 97.3 ESPN.com. He's got wall-to-wall coverage over there, and he joins us now. Kevin, how you doing this Monday? I'm doing good. I'm excited. How you guys doing? We're doing pretty good. So, you know, first of all, I want you to give Hunter Brody, who's still thinks the Celtics are going to win this series, which I'm not saying they can't win the series, but... You know, explain to him your rationalization, your reasoning for why you think the Sixers win this series, and we'll kind of uh, we'll kind of see where Broads goes from there. Because when Blevins mentioned he was picking Sixers in seven games, he almost fell out of his chair. <laughs> There's a couple different things that I look about this matchup. One, obviously, the Sixers won the season series. Argue, although with Ben Simmons, it's still good to have that confidence going in. Of you're facing a team that you've handled well in the regular season, in your first-round matchup. Arguably, the biggest thing is Joel Embiid. I mean, as we know, that Boston Celtics lineup is more wing players, not much size. We saw all through the seeding games when teams went small on Joel Embiid, he absolutely punished them and went for monster numbers. And we should hope to see more of the same in this. And the kind of sneaky thing that I think might sway the series is depth. We talk about when these teams met in the playoffs in the past, and the main thing that swung the favor to the Celtics was their depth, that they had guys like Jalen Brown, who was still coming off the bench at that time, Terry Rozier. But now this time, if you're looking at the benches, even though the Sixers are a little depleted in their second unit with no Glenn Robinson the third, I think that their reserve unit might still be better than the Celtics. And in that time, when the Stars are off the floor, if you can capitalize those small moments, it could really sway games. The only thing that scares me, uh, there's a couple things that scare me, but, you know, it's it just defending Kemba, defending Jason Tatum, defending Jalen Brown. I just feel like with Ben Simmons and the loss of his defense, 
I don't know if they're going to have enough. Whether Joel Embiid goes off or not, and obviously the only way that they can actually have a chance is Joel Embiid dropping those 40-plus performances. But I just think on the other side, the Celtics have too much versatility where the Sixers now lack because Ben Simmons isn't going to be out there making it hell for Tatum. Yeah, I agree. That is something very big, and it's going to be a big challenge for the Sixers defensively, mainly containing Jason Tatum. Uh, another thing we saw in those seeding games was when type players who could put the ball on the floor just absolutely demolishing the Sixers, whether it was T.J. Warren, DeMar DeRozan. Jason Tatum is another one of those guys who's big and long, can put the ball on the floor and score in a facet of ways. But if the Sixers can use their length, whether it's in the backcourt with guys like Jake Milton and Josh Richardson – or even just in your front court of guys like Tobias Harris and Al Horford, who will most likely be defending on the perimeter. But if you can chase those guys off the three-point line and kind of get them towards Joel Embiid and allow Joel Embiid to show what kind of rim protector he can be, I think it'll make the blow of not having Ben Simmons defensively a little easier for the Sixers. When you think about the Sixers, I want to ask you a question that I brought up on Saturday, which was, I saw the Rockets game, and I know it's the last regular season game, and they didn't never nobody really played the second half. But in the first half, I noticed something specific against a smaller team. The Sixers said, "James Harden, you're going to score. We don't care. We're going to stop everyone else." They out rebounded them by almost double. They dominated them at times defensively. Can the Sixers take that kind of approach to a Celtics team? that basically runs out there with the combination between the four starters and their three bench players, basically eight wings. I mean, it could be something that we see. In in the regular season series, rebounding was something that the Sixers just completely outdid the Celtics in, in that matchup. I believe they grabbed 12 more rebounds a game than the Celtics in their four regular season meetings. But if you can just control the glass on both sides of the ball as well. If you can finish defensive possessions and not allow those sneaky wing players to run in and grab long offensive rebounds and give them more possessions and more chances to score, you could see something like we saw against the Rockets. Would you start Matisse Thibel over Al Horford? I, my gut says yes, but part of me says no. Hearing Jason talk a little bit about it earlier kind of swayed me a little more, but all in all, Matisse Thibel is arguably your best perimeter defender and should be on the floor for most of the game, especially defending Tatum. But the fact that you'll have Al Horford out there as someone who knows that Boston system in and out, he might be a benefit on the floor defensively in terms of being able to read what's coming and knowing ahead of time of what some things Boston might like to do. But all in, the main thing that scares me with Horford is just him having the chase perimeter defenders, guys like Gordon Hayward, Jalen Brown, maybe the Boston Celtics, they move around a lot. It's going to be a lot of switching, and they could be able to expose a guy like Al Horford on the outside. What Celtics player offensively concerns you the most in terms of matchups? Is it Walker? Is it Tatum? Who's the guy that worries you the most? Honestly, it's Jalen Brown. Uh, That might be a little... Outlandish because Kemba and Tatum are their two main scorers. If you think about it, I mean, Josh Richardson's been very energetic defensively, and you have to assume that the Sixers are going to throw everything they have at Tatum, which leaves Brown as kind of like the sneaky guy that 
they might not worry about. And he's played very well in the bubble. And I mean, if he can get hot and he's very, he's shown the jump shots coming along a little bit and he's athletic and he's fast. He could give fits here and there and is someone that the Sixers should worry about. Do you trust Josh Richardson on Kemba Walker? He does have the length, he does have the size, and he's very versatile. But there are some times where I question, you know, what is Josh Richardson doing out there? And his defense isn't as good as it should be, and sometimes offensively he's lost. But when it comes to defensively against Kemba Walker, do you think he's someone that could get the job done? I think so. I mean, all in all, it's going to be hard to determine what the job done is. But, I mean, Kemba is – a professional scorer in this league. You know he's going to go get his no matter which way he wants. But in terms of being able to contain him in terms of quickness and, like you said, having that size advantage, I think Josh Richardson will do a good enough job on Kemba Walker in the series. We know that the Sixers are going to need somebody to pick up the scoring load. I know someone that you have written about and talked about is Alec Burks. Explain a little bit why you think Alec Burks can be effective versus the Celtics team that, let's be realistic, like I said, they have a lot of wing guys, so they can throw a lot of bodies at Burks when he comes off the bench. It kind of ties back to what I said in the beginning about winning minutes when the stars are off the floor, and Alec Burks is that guy who's going to lead that charge. He's been lightning in a bottle since they've gone into the bubble, which has been a great sign. And Brett Brown has even compared him to a Lou Williams-type player. And if he can continue to be that for the Sixers, it'll be a huge benefit, especially with Al Horford running at the center spot. I think their pick-and-pop combination is very good, and it leaves a lot of options. And it also gives the Sixers wings lanes to cut as well. So, I mean, you'll have all the room under the rim to attack the basket, and you'll also have – that stretch five-ish Al Horford to be able to knock down shots and also draw Ennis Kanter away from the rim. Keeping it with the bench, I know we've had this discussion before, but now that we know the matchup and we see the team, how confident are you that Cork Moss can get off his shots against this Celtics <laughs> team? I should have known Cork Moss was going to come out. Every time Ferkin gets going, I got to text Broads and let him know he's doing well. But, yep. You and a lot uh, of other people. To be, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm 50-50 on for Korkmaz. I think these past couple games, the fact that we've got to see the bench unit get more time, I think we've seen a little bit more of a confident second unit, which is good because when you lose a guy like Ben Simmons and you need to add scoring and you look to your role players, having them have those past couple seeding games to go out, get some more jump shots going, and feel more confident is going to be good. I think it's going to be tough for Korkmaz, but hopefully he can just – do the best of using advantage of his size and just keeping guys in front of him. He's Kevin McCormick. Follow him on Twitter at KevinMCC973 as we'll be having tons of coverage in 973ESPN.com. Again, he's got the preview for tonight's game. You can read before the game. Check out his information after the game. As all guests, he appeared on the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. Kevin, appreciate the time. No problem, guys. Thanks for having me. Josh, any in for Mike Gill here on 97.3 ESPN Sports Patch. Being brought to you by SHM Financial. Are you quickly approaching or in retirement? Don't get overwhelmed. Contact SHM Financial at 800-MONEY-SHM. That's calling them at 800-MONEY-SHM. Or you can visit them online at shmfinancial.com. 
Com. We got a bizarro decision of five questions next because I have some breaking news with the UFC. I have some Eagles news, and we also are going to try to squeeze in these anytime hotline calls. Are you ready? Of course. It's Sixers Playoff Basketball tonight on 97.3 ESPN with the voice of the 76ers, Tom McGinnis, calling all the exciting. Man, 95. Number five will always love you. I got five on it. Five times. Now can you dig All right, so we got a very different version of five questions here. Josh Henning filling in for Mike. I'll be back for the next half hour of the Sixers basketball. Uh, while Broads tries to save the world on his way to watching the Sixers game. That is correct. So, I got a couple of news stories for you, and we got these anytime hotline calls, which after the Sixers game today, people can call what number to react? 856-442-9805. That number is also on 973ESPN.com on all of the Sports Bash full episodes Post that we put up where you can listen to the full show in the bio, the description of that post, it has the phone number so you can catch it there as well. Okay, so we'll get to those calls in a moment. A couple of breaking news items for you. Number one, Eagles. Eagles defense tackle Javon Hargrave has a pec strain. It will not require surgery, but the team is focused on getting him ready for the regular season. So the quote-unquote upper body injury is a pec strain and Remember, Jeff was saying this happened before the padded practices. So do you remember Bo Allen? Bo Allen tore his pec, right? And there's a lot of these bigger guys who have these pec injuries. And for those who don't know, sometimes this happens because the dude's gone a little too heavy on the bench press. And what happens is, not get too technical, but, you know, if your form isn't correct, you do what we call in the fitness world a chicken wing where you pop out your elbow and you strain your pec trying to push the weight up because you're no longer using the muscles and the other parts of your arm. So you're using the wrong part of your body to do the exercise. And a lot of times guys hurt themselves doing chest workouts. They must have thought that surgery was a pretty decent option because when we had Mosher on, he said the team is, you know, for circumstances-wise, you know, they're thrilled that this is what it is. It could right. have been way worse. So... Maybe they thought surgery was actually in play here. Well, it seems like to me, if I'm reading the report correctly, that uh, basically he probably got like an MRI finally. Like, you know, probably the doctor got a hold of him is like, this is not good, blah, blah, blah. You're seeing a lot of this stuff. Uh, McCoy, Dallas Cowboys, he ended up needing surgery. Torn quadriceps. You're going to see a lot of injury. You're seeing it with baseball, with all these pitchers. I think it's just the nature of the beast on what's happening here. Speaking of the Eagles... This is my first question for you. I'm going to read you a quote, and then I'm going to tell you who said it. You ready? Of course. It's definitely a different type of environment. The last two organizations I went to, it wasn't really a winning organization. So when you come to a place that's known for winning, known for being in the postseason, you see a different type of culture they have. This player currently plays for the New Orleans Saints. Nigel Bradham. That is correct. Nigel Bradham. In his bio, it actually says Super Bowl champion. Thoughts? That's interesting. The Eagles aren't a winning organization. (laughs) That's interesting. This guy, I mean, there's a reason why 
things fell the way that they did here in Philly. He missed the bus. He didn't even make one of the preseason games, he right? He didn't tell anybody he wasn't going. Yeah. There's a reason why he's now there. That is a wonky thing to say. I mean, doesn't that just make you think, wait, what? I don't get that. You won the Super Bowl. I know. Crazy. Uh, one more story for you. John Jones spoke with the UFC today, arguably the greatest heavy, greatest MMA fighter of all time. He is vacating his light heavyweight championship, a belt that he has hold, held pretty much without anybody taking it from him, except for himself, when he got suspended for drug use and all kinds of stuff. So nobody has beaten John Jones in basically a decade, and he says he's vacating the belt, and it looks like he's going to train to move up to heavyweight. I'm excited. You should be. I am. Now, I haven't seen him fight in his prime because I'm a new UFCsman, but I'm intrigued because I know who he is, I know about his past, and I want to see if he's going to be able to execute at the next level, now that I'm a professional, if you will. Now, you also know who his brothers are. Do I? Okay, I thought you did. Oh, no, maybe I don't. So, for those who don't know, (laughs) including yourself, he has two brothers. They play in the NFL. Arthur Jones and Chandler Jones are his two brothers. So you know he comes from a family of bigger dudes. So you know that that 6'4", 6'5", frame can put some extra stuff on it if he needs to. How about that? I wonder if he played football growing up. Uh, he did. He was a football and a wrestler in high school. One hell of a family, huh? Jo- Jones claims he's better than his brothers at football, which both of his brothers say that he's ridiculous when he says that. Well, of course. There's always people that think that they can do <laughs> other things in life when they haven't really pursued it to a higher level. Right. You know what I mean? All right. So let's get to these anytime hotline reactions in the Flyers game last night. Ready? Go. Ryan from Tampa. It's all right, because we're stay by the post. I mean, I know this is an American Idol, but anyway, Carter Hart got stayed by the post many of times, but he came up huge. Carter Hart, you are the man. Now again, they have to convert on power plays. One for 25 is just unacceptable. And they just have to, when they have the chance, they're just too indecisive right now. They got to swing the puck and just make things happen. This is going to be a six or seven game series. Let's get to Tuesday, get that victory. Six to seven game series. I hope not. I, I projected not. five. I mean, I guess six is in play here because I think of how hard six is reasonable. Yeah, I seven think would be miserable. If it goes seven, something had else had to go wrong. Yeah, I, I agree completely. Now, the Saved by the Posting, pretty funny. Saved by the Bell theme song there. That's pretty funny. I just feel some of those posts, it hit the outside part of the post, so you heard the ding, but it didn't really th- make a threat. It wasn't a legit shot that had a scoring chance. And you can argue that Carter Hart coming out of his net, taking away certain angles. That's all those players had to shoot at because of Carter Hart coming out and, and taking away their shot selection. Want to hear another one? Sure. I thought the Flyers played a lot better tonight, obviously, than they did in Game 2 and in Game 1 as well. Uh, they were a lot more physical than they were in Game 2, and I think that's just them bouncing back from getting absolutely obliterated by the Canadians in Game 2. Um, I think it was the right choice, taking out uh, Joel Farabee and Gostas Baird and bringing in Michael Roffel, Robert Haig. They played a lot better. Ghost was mostly in for the power play, and he just wasn't performing. Glad to see the Flyers on top. Hopefully they can keep this going. 
they were more physical, for sure. For 2020-style of hockey, they were more physical, and that did slow down the pace of the speedy young player. So, Elaine Vigneault made the adjustment, and it worked. I was telling you guys also on the chat last night that I think Goss Barris is too inconsistent at this point as an NHL player to just be reliable upon anymore. Yeah, he's no good. I, I hate to say it, but he is not what we thought he was going to be, and defensively he struggles too much. You see Justin Braun looks way more comfortable with Robert Haig as his D partner than he does Ghost. Yeah, absolutely. Let's get one more call in here. It was an ugly win, but, I mean, hell of a lot better than an ugly loss like last time. Carter Hall, what more is there to say about him? He's our lord and savior at this point. And I really feel like the Flyers can play better, but at this point, after game two, I really don't care. Just as long as they get the win. Just two more. Let's go Flyers, baby. Anytime, anywhere. Oh, he goes hashtag on us. He went hashtag on us. How about that? I, I love the fact that the dude gets a shutout, young player to do it. He's got no smile on his face after the game. Like, oh, yeah, he didn't just out-duel Carey Price and get a shutout in a one nothing win or anything. He's focused. I know. It's incredible. He's the best young player in the city. Ew. <laughs> Speaking of great young players, of course, Flyers hockey back tomorrow, 3 o'clock. Mike Gill, Hunter Bird will have the one-hour pre Game up to that. I'm believe up next for the next half hour on game night. Leading up to Sixers versus Celtics right here on 97.3 ESPN. Of course, don't forget 97.3 ESPN.com. All your pre and post game coverage. It's Flyers playoff hockey tomorrow on 97.3 ESPN and the free mobile app with Tim Saunders and Steve Coates calling all the exciting play-by-play -play action. That'll do it. The Flyers hold on. Listen to Philadelphia Flyers playoff hockey.